I'm Sarah Humphreys, the executive editor of Real Simple, a busy stepmother of two, and an amateur cook who loves to cook and loves to eat, but has lots of questions. And I'm Sarah Karnasevich, the food editor of realsimple.com, a professional cook and a working mom who tries to give you all the answers. Welcome to Things Cooks Know, the weekly podcast where the professional cook, that's Sarah Kay, shares insider advice and secrets that the busy, hungry amateur cook, that's me, can use in her own kitchen with her own family. Can you believe that summer is practically over? No. It's the last week of August. (laughs) What happened? And I think we've been talking, especially as you get older, trying to get the essence of summer and, and, and really recognize it and enjoy it is so hard. Yeah. So we need to capture that essence before it goes away. Yeah, we've talked a lot, you know, in the last few weeks and months about some of our favorite things about summer. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, but we decided that for this last episode of the season, we wanted to do kind of a grab bag of the the, our kind of like our summer bucket list, like the things that we wanted to eat or make or have one more time before September looms. And summer really, as we've been talking about, is 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 the time you can really be a hedonist. So you've got yeah. one more week, basically, maybe 10 days if you're counting kind of Labor Day area, to be a hedonist. Right. So this is about the, the summer bucket list for hedonists. Yeah, th- these are the foods that's like, of course, you can eat them at other times of the year, but it's like wearing white. Right. right? Like right. it's these Labor are really comes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to t- dive in, pun intended, to the summer bucket list. <laughs> but actually, before we do, I need to talk a little bit more about s'mores. Okay. Which this we, is from one of our last episodes. Yeah. So our last episode, as um, some of you may know, was about campfire cooking. And of course, we, we devoted a decent amount of time to s'mores and different ways to eat s'mores and the perfect roasting marshmallow roasting technique. We've had some feedback and some new ideas since our episode aired. We got a great tweet from a man named John Gerlach, who's from Spartanburg, South Carolina. He took a shot of his s'more... Smorgasbord. S'mores smorgasbord that he was going to enjoy that evening. And we have yet to hear how it went, but he had some really interesting items on there. He had his Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, which we've talked about and think that could be pretty cool to put in in place of the basic milk chocolate. But he also had Milky Ways. Yeah. And he had lint truffles. I'm not... I'm not sure how that works, <laughs> yeah. but John, if you're listening, we'd love to hear. You can call in and give us your s'mores smorgasbord feedback. I was also talking to her, one of our favorite Things Cooks No fans, Abby Custer-Prokel, his, who is one of the art directors at Real Simple and an avid listener. At oh. least she tells us that. <laughs> and um, she has a friend named Lindsay Laidlaw who has started to use milk chocolate-covered potato chips in her s'mores. From Trader Joe's? From Trader Joe's. You can buy a bag of milk chocolate-covered potato chips and you stick those in the I s'mores. I think this sounds genius. I agree. I, I, I feel like that's just, that's that's the ultimate. So we wanted to make sure we shared that with you. Okay, oh. but let's get on to the bucket list, shall we? Okay. The first thing that we've mentioned a couple of times that we really haven't dug into is popsicles. Yeah. You were talking about even just using leftovers, leftover yeah. liquids well, that's you the have whole thing. around the house. Yeah, I think like... Making a popsicle does not need to be something that really takes a strict recipe. The way I like to think about it is if you can pour it, you can make a popsicle out of it. So a milkshake, a smoothie, a pudding, any kind of puree, all of those things work. One of my friends this summer has gotten into the habit, which I thought was just brilliant, of just saving whatever yogurt was left over from breakfast or if there were like little dregs left in the container at the end of the week and using that as the base for her popsicles. And 
what's kind of cool is that so many of the molds that you can get these days and the variety of popsicle molds you can find at stores now or online is kind of mind-boggling. But a lot of them are really handy for using small quantities because you can just do you can fill one pop mold at a time rather than having to do the whole batch. Right. You can take them out individually. So that's especially great for something like this where you're just using a small amount of leftovers. And, you know, you can add, fill one pop at a, a day with your, your leftover smoothie. Right. Or um, even just leftover chunks of fruit, right? Yeah. You've got like three strawberries left in the, in the pint container. So right. So you throw that in, in the blender with some of your yogurt, maybe a splash of maple syrup. And I'm a really big fan of using yogurt in popsicles. I think you get this great creamy consistency without using a lot of cream or eggs or anything Mm -hmm. like that um, that you would in an ice cream. And there's this, especially in the summer, I think yogurt can be so cooling. And there's this, this tradition of cooling yogurt drinks and treats that's sort of international. I mean, if you think of Lassi's in India or the Turk, the Turks have a, a really cool uh, yogurt drink that is is supposed to be, refre- you know, it's a refreshing thing, plain yogurt. And then you can dress it up in any kind of way you want. Um, and if you want to give it more of that pudding consistency, you can dissolve a little gelatin in the in the smoothie, you know, in your mix before you freeze it. But you don't need to. I was going to say, actually, gelatin. Gelatin's yeah. very scary to me. I oh, don't understand it. No, I have to be scared of it. I tried to use it last weekend. I made panna cotta last uh-huh. weekend, by the way. And um, it was a two-layered panna cotta, I guess, which is kind of, you know, mm-hmm. what happens most of the time. The first layer was great. The second layer, I pulled it out for, I was having eight people over for, oh, sorry, nine over for dinner. I pulled them out and the first layer was like, it was it was like I had just poured it. It was oh, no. it hadn't solidified at all. So then I was pouring it out down the sink. Anyway, I'm a little intimidated Is by gelatin. Is it the clumping thing that you are like? What sort of problem? I don't know. Are, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't. It just solidify. didn't set. It didn't set. So it just was like a watery. I think peach. that if you don't get it dissolved evenly enough, sometimes I before, think that's maybe what um, I did. then it's not going to evenly set. Yeah. But okay. my basic popsicle formula has four parts, and I'm talking about a yogurt pop here. So the yogurt, a liquid, which is usually just like a splash of milk, or it could be a nut milk or something like that, some kind of fruit, and an herb or a spice or something to give it another element. So you can do cantaloupe with ginger or cocoa and dates. That's a really good cocoa and dates. If you have some tahini, you can throw that in. I mean, that's a really grown-up adult kind of one. Um, And it's sweet from the dates without having any added sugars in it. Really refreshing one is buttermilk with Lemon and mint. Ooh, that, that is sounds so good. So we, we've gone from cold. Now we're going to go hot. And fried seafood. Yes. I mean, you got to have it. Get me to a clam shack. Stat. Yeah. I have not. I, having grown, grown up in Rhode Island, I mean, I grew up on fried clams, fried shrimp, and the world-famous clam cake. Yes. Which is essentially a piece of a huge ball of fried dough that you may or may not <laughs> find, find a, clam. a single clam in. <laughs> but that doesn't really matter. I have not had a clam cake this entire summer. And I'm going to Rhode Island this weekend. You're going to fix I, that. Oh, I'm fixing it. But um, f- again, be a hedonist. Fried seafood, maybe not great for the rest of the year, although I, I would argue against yeah. that. But I think that this is the time to do it. You've oh, got to do it. And 
don't be a wuss. You got to get the whole bellies. Oh, come this, on. Like, no strips. strips thing. No, no. You can't do the strip. That's not a fried clam. No. So go to the, the shack. Make sure it's actually a shack. You want it to be as shacky as possible. Get the whole bellies. Get yourself a cup of chowder on the side. How do you feel? You're from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about chowder? It has to be creamy. Mm-hmm. It has to have a ton of clams. A touch of dill, but not too much. Okay. And now that oyster crackers are harder to get, that's disappointing, but you have to have oyster crackers on the side. And I really like a big splash of hot sauce in my chowder. I like that, too. I think that's good. Or I like to a have clam a little cake. bite. <laughs> <laughs> Dipping clam cakes in chowder is basically the best thing. I've Although heard. I would say that I, I skew slightly to the... I mean, I like creamy, but not too creamy. No, not too... I don't want it gloppy. I want, mm-hmm. like, a nice, thin consistency so you get the chunks of the clams and the potatoes yeah. and all that stuff. I want, like, just sort of lightly milky, I think I want my chowder. The two best chowders, in my opinion, are the Black Pearl chowder mm-hmm. from Newport, Rhode Island, the cutest restaurant ever. It's been there forever. Particularly good, by the way, in winter when no one's there. Yeah. And then the bite at Martha's Vineyard, which is in Menemsha, is this, t- speaking of a shack, it is teeny, teeny, tiny. Go there at 11 a.m. before it starts getting crazy busy, and they have excellent chowder and excellent clams. Okay. And one other thing we need to talk about when it comes to seafood that we both are obsessed oh, yes. with. Yeah, and this is, I think, a good thing. This is another clam-related item, but doesn't involve frying, like, if that's not something you're going to do, right? And that is the stuffy. The stuffies are fabulous. Do you want to describe what a stuffy is? Okay, so a stuffy is basically a clam cake inside a clam shell. But it's it's more like you make a stuffing that has clams in it and then you pack that stuffing into a hard shell clam shell and then you bake it like that so it's like a baked stuffed clam stuffy yep. and it's a real i think it's actually a, a real rhode island thing it is. i mean i think of it as a new england thing right. but, no, I think but i think it's, it's like, actually pure rhode island. It it's came from really rhode island. really rhode island yes. but if you have one you will feel like an honorary rhode islander or you will want to be one because they are so good they're so good and they're so easy to make and i always think of them as like just a classic part of summer especially end of summer it seems particularly fitting to kind of that late summer into fall because in my family at least you know the the actual clamming part of it is a, is a big thing so i want to if i have the chance to go out and get my clams. Amazing. And you're looking for, you know, whether or not you are clamming or not, the kind of clams, there are a lot of different kinds out there at the market. You're looking for a big hard-shelled clam, so like a quahog or a cherry stone. And they're really easy to make once you have those clams. And you can freeze them. Yes, you can freeze them once they're made. So what you're doing, the whole process, I can just kind of walk you through it and you know, a minute. And that is, you get your clams. You get, you want like at least a dozen, probably more. You steam them. You take the clams out, you know, out of their shells. You keep some of the juice from steaming them. Then you mince the clams. So once they're out of their shells, then you get a big saute pan. You melt some butter in that. You brown some breadcrumbs, or if you want to go in a different direction, you could do like kind of like cornbread or cornmeal. You add some onions and garlic, some celery, your basic kind of aromatics. 
you know, and you can dress it. You're making a stuffing. That's you may have noticed. So you can add anything else that you want. Maybe some bacon. Um, you could do like some linguisa if you want to do kind of Portuguese. Or as we say in Rhode Island, chorice. Chorice. Yes, you could have some chorice. <laughs> Chorizo. Um, you add those minced clams, some of that clam juice. I've done it before where I added some leftover like corn from dinner the night before. So little corn kernels, parsley. If you need a little bit more binder, you can add a beaten egg in there. But you're basically making a, a stuffing paste. And then you take those, the shells that were left over after you steamed open the clams, you take the prettiest ones, clean them out, and then you pack the stuffing into that. And then that's the point at which you can either freeze them or put them on a pan, you know, a sheet pan, and put them in the oven and bake them until, you know, they get crunchy and crispy on the top and serve it with some lemon wedges and maybe a little hot sauce. I'm, I'm actually definitely doing that this year. Okay. So we've gotten our, uh, our fried seafood out of the way. What are you going to drink with it? Exactly. Let's go to, let's go to some <laughs> slushy drinks, shall okay, we? Yeah. So there are so many versions of these, and they could be completely innocent or they could have booze in them. Our classic Rhode Island slushy drink is Dell's Frozen Lemonade, which, you know, follow the sign, stop at the sign of the lemon is basically their yeah. slogan. And you just go and it's just basically, it's basically like lemonade blended with ice. Mm-hmm. But there are chunks of real lemon in it and it is delicious. And every time I go back from the beach, I have to have a Dell's Frozen Lemonade as part of the deal. So this is something you have to have. You know, of course, the slush puppy, the slurpee. Yeah, you, know, you and you really I want to go like... We have dorked out about our love for slush puppies yes. before. And I have... I don't know. I, I mentioned to you that I've been a little upset by what I see as the the change in consistency from when I was a kid and I would get the slush puppy at like the 7-Eleven or wherever it was that sold them. It was called something. It was the Dairy Farm. I think that's what yeah, it was called. Yeah, Dairy Farm. Yeah. <laughs> but, Funny name yeah. now that you think about it. And then like they see, they seem to like disappear at least from my consciousness for a while and then reappear when I was like a late teen or college and like movie theaters trying and to, stuff. Trying to capture your And childhood. I feel like the ones that I had as a kid were really like, you know, whatever syrup flavoring, just horribleness, but so good that they use in them. But the ice, the slushy part of it was like really granule, mm-hmm. like small, 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 tiny Liquid chunks sand, of ice. But yeah, but, but it had like a texture to it. And then the later version of that seems to be like a lot foamier to me, and I just think that's disgusting. It's completely unsatisfying. So I, if I'm going to try and recreate my own version of a slush puppy, I'm aiming for that granular, very fine ice consistency. I mean, ice consistency in any sort of frozen drink is very important, and it can it can change. I mean, as I was thinking <laughs> about this, I. Uh, Here's an example of what not to do. My father makes margaritas and thinks he makes the best margaritas ever. And, <laughs> I hope he's uh, not listening. I've got it. You know what? I kind of hope he is. And he, his special margaritas consist of just putting huge chunks of ice, little margarita mix, taking his limes, not washing them, just slicing them into, into quarters and shoving them in the blender. Now, so what you might get in your, you know, your gulp of margarita will be a huge chunk of unblended ice that you need to, that you need to chew, a little bit of too sweet unblended margarita mix, and then probably a big hunk of the white pith from the lime along with the sticker. Oh, he does not take the stickers off. That's the best part. So the, where can we... Is that the we, special ingredient? Oh, God, it's so awful. So how can we make good blended 
icy drinks. So the first thing is, I think you, you want to put your liquids into the blender before your ice. And that's because, like, if you're, if you're mixing, like, if you're making a mixed drink or a smoothie or something, a slushy type thing that has more than one ingredient in it or a solid and a liquid ingredient that you want to combine, those things are getting combined before you add the ice That makes it. sense. And then, you know, top that with ice. If you can already start with some, like, slightly crushed ice instead of huge cubes, great. Like, if you have that option on your fridge. If not, no big deal. But also I would say maybe go easy on the ice first because you can always add more if you blend and the consistency isn't exactly what you want. Can't really take away. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, obviously, put the lid on the blender, <laughs> and then start Worth noting. However, yeah, start start slowly. Like, don't fire oh, so all I would, the I engines would go, at like, once. Full on level ten. At I first. think you want to like ease your way up the blender scale, okay, and build up speed so that like as it breaks down, it gets smoother and smoother and smoother. And you kind of like use your ears to tell when it's getting. There should stop being like big thwaps going on. You know, those big chunks shouldn't be rattling around against the side of it anymore. And then, you know, stop the blender, give it a second, take the top off, stir it up, and taste, you know, taste for the consistency. And if you need to add a little bit more ice at that point, you can kind of go through that process again. Okay, so patience and a gradual blending. Yeah. Okay. I hope someone's listening. Okay. (laughs) Ice cream. Yeah. Summer is the only season where you can have people over, put seven pints of ice cream on a table <laughs> with, you know, seven spoons and just let people go to town. This is the last week you can do that. Yeah. So, you know, we are and here to tell you. you can eat it for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, exactly. it's totally acceptable. We're here to tell you that it's, this is the last time and it's okay and you can do whatever you want with your ice cream. But we also, you know, we do love an ice cream cake and there's a lot of cheats to make ice cream cake that's... You mean Quick. besides buying one from Carvel? Well, that's the ultimate cheat. And I did that last weekend yeah. as well. Oh, our producer is also giving us a thumbs up for the Carvel ice cream cake. So, yeah, I, we do, we bought one and we ate the entire thing last weekend. And it was awesome. Yeah. But will you tell us about your brilliant ice cream cake that you make and is on the Real Simple website? Yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for this. I think it's like sort of a meme. I you attribute know. it to you solely. <laughs> okay. Um, but... If you haven't done this before, and I I may have mentioned this because I'm slightly fixated on it, you can make an incredible customized ice cream cake with a combo of various store-bought ingredients. The main factor being the classic ice cream sandwich, you know, with kind of like the chocolate cookie outside. Yeah, the vanilla ice cream inside. So you get a box of those. You get yourself a loaf pan. And the idea is you you do a layer of ice cream sandwiches, like just packed right next to each other in the loaf pan. And you might have to trim them slightly to fit. And then on top of that, you spread a layer of softened ice cream, whatever flavor you want. So this is what I'm saying. You can like mix and match or customize. Then you top that with another layer of ice cream sandwiches and then another layer of ice cream, same flavor, different flavor, whatever direction you're taking it in. You wrap that up really tight with some plastic wrap. You pop it in your freezer. You let it get really firm. You turn it out. So basically what you have is like an ice cream loaf at that 
point. And when you, you cut it into slices, and when you cut it into slices, it looks like this amazing striped ice cream cake. And you've done nothing but assemble a few ingredients and, you know, throw some whipped cream on that, some sprinkles. Like, it will change your life. You'll never look at ice cream cakes that uh, the same way again. Okay, so that's on your list, bucket list. Yeah. And then one that's a little... A little more elevated, but still, yeah. And you another claim easy, another loaf pan thing. So, th- another thing, ice cream variation that does not require an ice cream maker, because I know that that might be an impediment to some people who are like, I don't need another piece of crap in my kitchen or another gadget that I'm going to use twice a year. But it's such a good frozen dessert, and it can be really impressive. Is an Italian dessert called semifredo, and I mean, the, na- the name means half frozen, and it's basically like a frozen mousse. Not many ingredients, pretty uncomplicated process to make. And we have a classic lemon version that's like very simple and elegant and delicious on the site if you want to look that up. So it's just lemon semifredo. And all it takes is basically whisking some egg yolks. This one, you know, lemon, that one has lemon zest a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar over kind of a a pan of water. So you're not really cooking them, but you're thickening them and letting them get opaque for like 12, 15 minutes. Then you cool that mixture, that egg and sugar mixture. So next, while that's cooling, you make some whipped cream. You just put your cream in a bowl. You whip it with some sugar. And then you fold the whipped cream into that cooled mixture, that that base that you made before. You pour, pour the whole thing into a loaf pan and you freeze it. And when you take it out, you just cut that into slices. And it's like this sort of very softly frozen, creamy, amazing thing that, that took like so two good. steps to make. And finally... Fair food. (laughs) It's my job at this podcast to basically just every time you start talking about something that sounds beautiful and elegant, I just completely kick you, kick your knees out from under you. Hey, I can. Fair food. uh, You know, I swing both ways. I love love the high and the low. So that that typical fried food, fair food smell, I can just, (laughs) I close my eyes and think, I think of Rocky Point in Warwick, Rhode Island, which does not exist anymore, but was this like crazy, disgusting amusement park that we loved. Yeah. I think of Kwasi in Middlebury. There you go. Yeah. So sausage and peppers, corn dogs, cotton candy. It's like sugar and grease. Sugar and grease. But I want to end this podcast today talking about funnel cake. Sally Karnasevich's funnel cake? Yes. (laughs) Mom, if you're out there, I'm outing you. Yes, I revealed to you in our conversation leading up to this podcast that while fried cake, uh, fried dough, funnel cakes are probably, you know, like an occasional treat fair food for many people. In my house growing up, much credit to my mother, this was actually included fairly regularly in the food options. I love that. Um, And it could be breakfast or dinner. And I think my mom made it using store-bought pizza dough. And it was usually, there were two variations. You could either pick having it uh, topped with a little bit of powdered sugar or tomato sauce. Or you could have like a two-course thing where you had like the tomato <laughs> sauce first I just and then the powdered this, like, sugar. This like huge cauldron of tomato sauce and then like this huge vat of 
of powdered sugar no, and you no, kind no. of you it pick a lane. It wasn't scary like that, honestly. <laughs> so that's what I want to say to people. If you're not going to get to the the fair this year, but you need your fix of fried dough, it's actually really e- easy okay, to so make. Okay, so tell us how to make it. So go out and get some pizza dough or make your own. But, I mean, if you can just grab one of those at the store, mm-hmm. get them most markets now. And you don't – I think people have this idea that it has to be like this – you need some kind of deep fryer to do this. You do not. You want, you know, a straight-sided frying pan or saute pan with, like, fairly tallish side, a couple inches on the sides. And all you need to do is add oil to the pan, you know, maybe like a quarter inch of is oil Is it like pan. vegetable oil? Yep. Yeah. Is that what you have to use? Or do you That's like the most like neutral flavor. Right. So you don't really okay. want to do it with olive oil. Right. You're gonna heat it over medium heat. You're gonna wait until it's sizzling when you sort of put a drop of water in there. And then uh, to prep your dough, all you've done is cut your your dough into smaller portions and kind of roughly stretched it out. You know, they're always kind of misshapen mm-hmm. and those funny amoeba shapes. So you're putting, you know, once your oil is hot, you throw that into the oil. You let it kind of bubble cooking for a minute or two until the underside is golden. Then you use tongs to flip it over, let it cook another minute till it's golden. And then you're just moving it over to like a paper towel lined tray or plate to drain off. And you, and you keep doing that. It's great. That would be and a great this is like, end of wedding thing. Like oh, at yeah. the end of the night. Like late night. Oh, yeah. Good. It really is. Except you're going to have to hire someone to do the yeah, cooking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, thank you, Mom, for giving me a childhood in which that was part of my life. I know. And maybe we should start <laughs> reprising it now. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today for Things Cooks Know. We'd like to thank our recording engineer, Zach Dinerstein, who gave us the thumbs up earlier. And our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on iTunes. For a million more great cooking tips and tricks, head to realsimple.com. And if you have topics you'd like us to cover next time, you can tweet them to us at Sarah P. Humphreys or at SQ Karn. We'll be back next week.